Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, what a great opportunity we have to worship the Lord this morning. Praying that you are enjoying this Sunday morning. Uh, hey, first big snowstorm of the year and really of our season. Uh, but we're going to continue our series today, All In. Uh, for the past four Sundays, we've been talking about what it means to go all in with Jesus. And this question that we've been reading each week, uh, I'm praying that it has motivated you. Praying that it's inspired you, challenged you. I know it's been challenging me uh, to really think, have I gone all in with him? You know, what if I went all in with Jesus this year? And for every single one of us, there are those areas of our lives that we have yet to surrender to the Holy Spirit. There's more that we can give to Jesus. Something that John said, uh, John, Jesus's cousin, maybe you know him as John the baptizer. He said, I must decrease, you must increase. And that's really my prayer for you as we conclude this series today. So we've been talking about five declarations that mark the life of someone who goes all in. And even if you're home right now, wherever you are watching from, go ahead and say these with me. Because I've gone all in with Jesus, I pray first. Scroll for truth, worship courageously, truly love people, and have hope. Today, we're going to conclude our series by talking about the hope that you and I have, people who go all in with Jesus. You know, this past week at the gym, I was listening to a conversation that was uh, taking place. And, you know, it's one that I've heard before. Maybe you've heard before. Maybe you've even said before. And without going into too much detail, here's some of the broad strokes of the conversation. Uh, we can't trust any politicians. I don't know when things are going to change. In this line, things just seem to be getting worse. And you know, as I sat there listening to that conversation, if I could give a theme to it, it would be this. We are all desperate for hope. All of us. In our lives, there's this desperation, this sense that we have that says there must be something more. There has to be something better. When we experience breakdown in our relationships, when our bodies feel pain or sickness, when we grieve and mourn and navigate many losses in our lives. Each one of those moments remind us there's got to be something more. It stirs in us this longing for hope. And today, I want you who are all in with Jesus to know about the hope that you have. We're going to read in scripture about what will take place when Jesus returns. Now, there's something that you need to know about me. Some of you know this, some of you don't. I'm a product of 90s Christianity. You know, I grew up in the church in the 90s. And what did that look like for me? Well, let me give you a couple of examples. For me, it involves WWJD bracelets. Come on, if you ever rocked one of those, say amen from wherever you're watching from. Yeah, for me, it meant that KJ52 was the only Christian rap alternative of the time. Uh, it meant books like True Love Waits and Promise Rings. And most importantly, what I want to highlight today 
is growing up in the 90s meant left behind. Left Behind series, the apocalypse novels and movies that came out about the end of the world. And uh, if you don't know what any of that is, you are truthfully highly blessed and favored. But when it came to the return of Jesus, my understanding looked something like this. At any moment, a secret return of Jesus could happen. And Christians would be sucked off the earth and their clothes would be left behind, possibly neatly folded on the chair. And then at some point, Jesus would return again. And like Thor, he would come out of the sky and he would destroy everything. It might look like a good scene from the Avengers movie. And then Christians would live in some other place for eternity, kind of an ethereal space called heaven. So did anybody else grow up like that? Anybody else like that's your understanding of Jesus's return? Uh, for me, it's terrifying and confusing. And it works for the Avengers. The problem is it's just not biblical. And today, what I want to do is I want to show you what the end will look like, what your future is, because you've gone all in with Jesus. And I want to give you three things today. I want to give you hope, okay, but to have hope. I also want to give you an invitation, and I want to give you a word of caution. Okay, so I want to give you hope, uh, an invitation, and a word of caution. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to read the last two chapters of the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, the end of the Bible, from the last book in the Bible called Revelation. And I want to establish something before we read. When John wrote this in the first century, he was not writing some secret code book, okay? He wasn't thinking in the first century, you know what, one day Kirk Cameron and Nicolas Cage, they're going to need a good script for a good apocalypse movie, so I'm going to write these things. He wasn't doing that, right? He wasn't writing a letter that would require a PhD in spy school to figure out uh, if those locusts are actually helicopters and what does that number mean? That was not what he was doing. John was writing a letter of hope to the churches that were facing hardship. And so as we read today, I want you to read and to listen with this in mind. This is a letter of hope for you. It's a letter of hope for those who have gone all in with Jesus because we all have hopeless, broken moments in our lives. And we're going to discover that the hope that we have is assurance. It brings joy. It brings peace. It doesn't bring fear. It does not bring confusion. So three things, hope, invitation, and caution. First, hope. What hope do we have? I want to read to you from Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride 
beautifully dressed for her husband. You know, we're reading here that there is this kingdom of God, this heaven and this earth. When Jesus first walked the earth, one of the first things he said was, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. What did he teach us to pray? We just concluded 21 days of prayer. And in the Lord's prayer, we are taught to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there are moments in this life where we get glimpses, or maybe we might say tastes, of the kingdom breaking through. When someone is saved, that's the kingdom breaking through. When you experience physical healing, it's the kingdom breaking through. When there is a miracle that only God could perform, it's the kingdom breaking through. It's a glimpse. A glimpse of what? What will come. See, there is a day coming where the kingdom will fully come down. Notice the words, come down. God's kingdom coming to us, not us being sucked up to it. And when this takes place, when this new heaven, this new earth that John sees, when it comes, there's a theme that's woven all throughout scripture, all throughout history, that's going to be experienced in its fullest sense. And the theme is this, redemption. Redemption. All throughout time, God has constantly been redeeming people, making them new. See, if you're in Jesus today, if you're all in, like I am, we've been redeemed. We've been made new. The old is gone, and we are now a new creation. And one day, God will redeem all of creation. We read in Scripture that the very earth itself is groaning. It is longing for its redemption. Natural disasters and things in our planets and solar system that are not right. God's going to redeem that. The prophets wrote about a day where... Even the animal kingdom would be redeemed. In Isaiah, it says that the wolf will lie down with the lamb, that the lion will eat straw, like there'll be this redemption for creation. What did we just read? There would be no longer any sea. You know, in John's day, the sea was viewed as chaotic, as fierce. But God is going to redeem that chaos. Doesn't that give you hope? Come on, to think that all the broken things, all the things that are not right now, one day, God will redeem it, just as he's redeemed us. John goes on and says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. You know, something my son often says that just, it brings me so much joy. He says, Daddy, I cannot wait to see Jesus face to face. And I say, me too, son. It's what I most want. See, there is a day coming when that will be our new reality. The new normal, right? A phrase that we hear over and over again, especially over the past two years. 
Well, there's a new normal coming where we will experience the full presence of God. Can you wrap your mind around that? The full presence of God. He says, look, I'm dwelling among my people. There was a moment where Moses, a prophet, a, really a leader from the Old Testament, he experienced part of the presence of God. He had a desire to experience God's full presence. And when he asked God to show him his presence, God said, uh, no, you can't. You can't handle all of me. And God hid him in a rock. And just like his jacket swept over him. And it completely changed his appearance. Moses was changed from that. My friends, there is a day coming where we will experience the full presence of God. John continues writing in Revelation and he says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Now remember, the first century audience, they would have been blown away by this. No temple? The temple was the place where once a year the high priest would go in and encounter just a portion of the presence of God. It was the place where sacrifice was made, where God's presence was experienced in a small degree. Yet in the new kingdom, the hope that we have is there is no need for a temple because God's presence is available fully. There is no curtain. There is no outer court. There is just God and his presence. He and the lamb are the temple. Does that give you hope? That maybe right now there are days where you struggle to experience the presence of God, where it feels like the cares of this world choke out his presence, where anxiety or worry gets in the way, where it feels like you're crying out, God, where are you? Have hope. There is a day coming where that will not be our cry, but rather we will cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. His presence will be with us. I, I can't even like wrap my head around what that's going to be like, but it gives me hope. John goes on, he says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. You know, there's a phrase that I absolutely love that we share with our children regularly, especially when we face one of these broken moments, death, crying, or pain. We say this, he will make all the sad things come untrue. He will make all the sad things come untrue. We're longing for that day. We have hope that that day will come. Have you ever suffered? Have you ever felt sadness, ever felt pain, loss, or death? Those things will be no more. This is hope. You know, just last week, our family gathered to remember my wife's grandmother who passed away. And my children were able to say this was from their lips. As we were driving to the funeral home, they were saying, well, we know that one day we'll see grandma again in the resurrection. And I sat there in the front seat, amazed at their faith. 
amazed at the hope that they had to know grandma knew Jesus. And so she's going to be in this resurrection. Like she's going to experience the full kingdom when Christ returns. See, there's a powerful passage of scripture that Paul writes regarding the resurrection, the return of Christ. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And what he's talking about there is that one day when Christ returns, these perishable bodies will be resurrected and they will be made imperishable. If you're familiar with the resurrection of Jesus, when he appeared to his disciples over those 40 days, he was in a resurrected body. It was physical. So I want you to get out of your head that this time of the second coming and all of eternity is not you floating on a cloud in a diaper, playing a harp that you're suddenly an angel. No, it's not that at all. You and I are going to have physical bodies, but they're going to be imperishable. They're going to be immortal. And at that time, death will be no more. Paul goes on to say this, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? One day our bodies will be transformed. They'll be resurrected. And there will be no more pain, no decay, no mourning, no crying. You know, I wonder, like, our livers, they're not going to have to pump out toxins anymore. It's, our bodies are not going to have to work the way that they do now. They're going to be changed. See, the Bible never speaks of us turning into an angel. It doesn't say that we're just going to float around for all eternity, bored. No, no. We're going to be resurrected. You're going to have a real physical body just like Jesus. And I'm thankful that we see Jesus in his resurrected body eating. Okay, so there's going to be eating in heaven. Man, give God some praise right now, wherever you're worshiping him from, that there will be no more sad things. Back to Revelation. Here's what we read. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this. If I could say it this way, those who go all in with Jesus. That's what we're talking about. Surrendering your life, being victorious over sin because Jesus has paid the price for your sin. And guess what? This is the hope you have. You're going to inherit all of this. And he says, I will be their God and they will be my children. Verse eight, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. See, we're talking this morning about the hope that we have in Jesus. We're talking about the second coming and understand that there is a second death. For those who do not lose their life in this world, Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? That's what we're reading right here, losing your soul. But when we deny ourselves, follow Jesus, we're born again. And we're looking forward to the second coming. And I want you to see, even here, there is hope for us. And I want to sum it up in this word, 
justice. Because at times it may feel like wickedness is growing. Like people are just getting away with sin and heinous acts and just evil towards others. But here's our hope. There will be justice. See, if you've been wronged, if you've been truly wronged before, then you want justice. You long for it. No one would look at a judge that would uh, dismiss a criminal because he says, well, I'm a judge of love. I don't bring justice. We would say, you're not a fair judge. God is just. And one day, all wickedness will face justice. And this may seem unfair of God. Maybe you're hearing this and saying, well, that's not loving. Why doesn't every person get to inherit what we're reading about? Why doesn't every person get to experience the second coming? Why is there even a second death? God should just accept all of us. And here's what I would say. Every person can experience the second coming of Jesus and his kingdom being set up. Look at how Revelation concludes. Chapter 22, verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. Would you say that word with me wherever you're watching from? Come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. We've spent time speaking of the hope that we have. And now here is the invitation. And it's to who? Everyone. To anyone who wishes. It's why John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that whosoever believes in his son will not perish. And here's the perishing we're talking about, but they'll have everlasting life. So let me ask you, are you thirsty for hope today? Are you looking around this world and saying like so many are, when are things going to get better? There's got to be more. Well, you're right. There is more. It's found in Jesus. And today, you can take the free gift of the water of life, eternal life that's paid for by Jesus. See, Jesus came and he experienced the death that you and I deserve to experience. He died on the cross for us so that we would not experience this second death. And if today you want to receive this eternal life, then right now in this moment, call out to God and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Thank you for paying the price for my death. I don't want to experience the second death. I want to experience your kingdom. I'm going all in with you. I'm surrendering. And now I want to end with a word of caution. The hope of Jesus's return cannot be our excuse. And I'm speaking to you if you're all in with Jesus. It can't just be our excuse to live life on cruise control. I love cruise control. I love when we're taking a trip and it's a long distance and we get on a highway and I can push a button, keep my hand on the wheel and the car goes the speed I need it to. But I also recognize in those moments, if I'm not careful, I'm not attentive, I can drift. We can't just go into cruise control living as we wait. Oh, I'm just waiting for the return of Jesus. Just do my own thing. I'm saved. I know I'll be there and just kind of go in my own way. 
That's not how we're called to live. We read earlier Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I want to read now the next verse, verse 58. Here's what he says after death has been swallowed up. Therefore, in other words, in light of this, because of the resurrection, because of the second coming, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What's he saying? He's saying in light of the resurrection, we're not going to just give ourselves half to the Lord's work. We're not going to grow complacent. We're not going to settle. We're going to give ourselves fully. What does it mean for Blaze Church? We're going to continue to be trailblazers. We're going to continue to lead people to know God. Find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference so that when the second coming happens, when the resurrection takes place, more people will experience it. See, the first word of caution I have for you this morning is this. Work hard. Go ahead and say that right now. Say, work hard. I'm going to work hard for the Lord. And the second word of caution is found in another portion of Paul's writings to the Corinthians regarding the resurrection. And here's what he says. Therefore, again, in light of the resurrection, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For, and I love this phrase, it messes with me, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul, the one who wrote those words, had been shipwrecked, he had been beaten, he had been stoned, he had been whipped, he had been imprisoned. He had been abandoned. He had gone through some stuff. And yet he says, all of my sufferings, light and momentary troubles. How could he say this? Because he had hope. Because he knew what he saw around him was temporary. But there was an eternal kingdom coming. There was hope to be had. And oh, that today, the stuff you're experiencing, the losses, the grieving, the pain, the heartache, the brokenness, the dysfunction, all of it. Oh, that we would have hope to say, this is hard, it's challenging, this is troubling, but it is light and momentary because I have hope. And so here's my second word of caution to you today. Have hope. Have hope that there is a kingdom coming down. That God's presence will be with us. That all of creation will be redeemed. That all the sad things will come untrue and we will live and reign with our God forever. This is what it means to be all in with Jesus. We have hope. What we're going to do now is we're going to worship the Lord with a song called Hymn of Heaven. And you're going to hear words of this song that tell us of a hymn that we will sing someday in the resurrection, in the second coming. 
But my friends, because we have hope now, today we can begin to sing this hymn of heaven. Today we can begin to lift our voices and shout to our God and have hope well up in us knowing he will return. That is our hope. I want to pray for you right now. And then I want you to, wherever you're joining from, I want you to worship the Lord with everything you have. So would you bow your heads right now and I'm gonna pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word that truly gives us hope. We thank you that we don't have to live discouraged, defeated, overwhelmed. God, we can have hope knowing that there is a day where your son will return and the kingdom will come and all things will be made new. I pray for every person this morning who's here listening, watching this later in the week, wherever they are, God, I pray that they know they can have hope. I pray that we would all of us surrender and go all in with you, live lives that are so different in light of your return. In Jesus' name, amen.